When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Presenting sponsor for today's episode of The Buffalo Beat is Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia, and we are getting closer towards the Bills' second regular season game of the year. They will be taking on the Miami Dolphins, their first AFC East matchup of the season and certainly one that they're going to want to have for a lot of different reasons. Well, first of which being you just want to win in the NFL. Second, they lost their first game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And thirdly, because the Dolphins are 1-0 this year after beating the New England Patriots. And I'm sure they do not want to have a a two-game division deficit after just two weeks in the season. So this is is one that the Bills will uh, surely want to have. So we'll get into the matchup and and everything along those lines and certainly some stuff about the Bills as as we we're getting closer to that with uh, for an in-depth look at the Dolphins we're going to talk to uh, one of our senior NFL writers here at the Athletic Lindsay Jones she uh, did a lot of uh, checking in on the Dolphins did a lot of uh, work surrounding the Dolphins and so she's got a great in-depth knowledge of what they're all about so we'll we'll check in with her in just a little bit here on the Buffalo Beat but before we do all that, we wanted to take like a, a big picture um, look at what the Bills ha- had and what they were looking at from this past game without like, you know, totally overreacting because it's first game of the season. Everyone's going to overreact and you're going to see, OK, well, they didn't do this. So now they're screwed here or, you know, they did this so great. And now now they're amazing in this area. But I, the answer is always somewhere closer to the middle. And so we wanted to take some, uh, I wanted to take a look at least a little bit of a, a big picture look based on what I saw from the film uh, going through the Bills and Steelers all 22 and then um, and, and then moving from there, how it translates forward and what it could become if things trend in a similar way. And, you know, the one area that you have to start just because it's who he is uh, as a quarterback and you know, Josh Allen is the one that everyone is going to continue to talk about, converse about, have have different opinions on about about what they did specifically in the game. But it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, this this loss against the Steelers, I haven't gotten a ton of feedback from fans just on Twitter, whether it be on comments over over at the Athletic of people who are like, "Oh man, Josh stinks," all of this sort of thing. It's just kind of this quiet confidence based on the year that he had last year that he's gonna iron things out and honestly it's it's kind of weird coming from the perspective of someone who has covered the bills for as long as i have now this will be my my 12th season on the beat and i'm used to whenever a quarterback doesn't have the greatest game they're just being 
a ton of criticism thrown that player's way. Um, but it hasn't really been the case. It's It's been kind of odd that, that it hasn't been the case. But you can see exactly where people are coming from, right? I mean, because we saw Josh Allen be so successful last season, take such a, a big step forward. And But I will say in this Steelers loss, he was doing things um, and, and missing throws that we didn't really see too much of in, during the 2020 season. We saw a lot of attention to detail on footwork, and that helped increase his accuracy in their intermediate areas, certainly helped his deep ball passing, and even the short stuff, too. I mean, that was that was a thing for a while for a lot of people where, you know, he had the, this lower completion percentage rate as compared to a lot of people in the league on these shorter throws. Um, and some of that kind of, kind of uh, crept back into his game against the Steelers. It wasn't a huge amount. It was just like a throw here, a throw there. Of course, the one everyone talks about is um, the deep miss to Emmanuel Sanders down the seam where he was wide open, should have been a touchdown. Everybody knows it should have been a touchdown. And uh, I think Josh Allen, that's that's one of the ones where he's like, okay, if this, is, this would be Josh talking. If I make this throw, then we probably win that game. And so I, I think that's probably how he's anticipating or at least looking at that sort of thing. And so he needs to be better in that area. But some of these other throws, like, you know, it's just uncharacteristic stuff. Like the third and one flea flicker play in the first half where, you know, it, it, Allen had actually a lot of time in the backfield. The The Steelers were kind of caught off guard by, by the play call. And Diggs was the only receiver on the play to where, and you, you, you could see it on, on the L-22. He was running straight towards, it was either a cornerback or a safety. I, I couldn't tell um, what what type of player it was. But then he went into his break and broke left with a lot of room to the sideline. And he had his man. And there was no one past him. Absolutely no one. There was kind of a deep safety, but he was more so towards the middle. And if Josh Allen puts some zip on that pass and puts the right uh, puts the right location on the pass, then this is one where Diggs can can catch it in stride, turn up the field, and at least get like 10 more yards, if not a touchdown altogether. But instead, for some reason, Allen decided to loft the ball, and the throw was a little bit behind Diggs. He didn't throw it right at uh, at the top of Diggs' break, and, um, and it allowed the defender to get back into it, even though there was already a yard of separation. So that's one that I think was a major missed opportunity, especially in the first half. They, they wound up having to punt. Uh, on that on that drive and and certainly that could have been at least a field goal for them then moving forward later on in the game uh, one of those short throws right it was I think it was a third and three or a third and four um, to Cole Beasley towards it was like a swing pass towards the left side and he had a couple of blockers in front of him and Allen just completely dirted it and the Bills had to punt that pass and they were already in they had to punt that uh, on that possession and they were already in Pittsburgh territory so those are two major misfires to where it could have been points. And if one of those two drives turns into a touchdown, then I think the Bills are probably 1-0 in, in, in this game with the, the way that they played the rest of the game. So, so yeah, definitely some missed opportunities. But I think that's why people aren't panicking because that's, you know, they, they're expecting that Allen is going to iron it out. And, you know, I, I would be... Uh, I'm of the belief that I think he's going to iron it out in, in this coming game, but we'll get into the into the matchup stuff more specifically later on. But I did want to take 
some time to talk about the the issue that has mostly been a talking point for people this week over the last several days. I'm recording this on Thursday, um, and there were a, there was a lot of concern stemming from that game about how the offensive line looked. And I can't necessarily say I blame anybody because usually when when you think to yourself, oh, the offensive line is just just getting uh, just getting torched every single snap, every single game or every single play. And it just seems like there's someone constantly in the backfield. A lot of times it's a little over exaggerated. But in this case, it was very much not over exaggerated. If, if you go down the list of how many pressures were allowed in the game, I mean, Feliciano allowed eight pressures himself. Uh, William, Darrell Williams allowed five. Deion Dawkins allowed five. Mitch Morse allowed three. Cody Ford allowed two. Ike Butker in only 10 snaps allowed one, where he just completely whiffed on a combo block. So it does at least lead to a little bit of concern. And you have to kind of look at it in a couple of different ways, right? You have to look at it from the perspective of, okay, who is the opponent? And what what players do they have uh, on that team? The Steelers have a pretty good front. And TJ Watt is obviously one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Cameron Hayward is a really darn good interior defensive lineman. And then Melvin uh, Ingram, who has who's a little bit up there in in terms of age in his career, had a great game and looked explosive. Um, but so you you have to factor all of that in when you when you talk about the results of this game. I think what the more concerning area is is that the Bills didn't put up more of a fight in uh, with their offensive linemen in this game. I mean, we've we've talked about Feliciano, we talked about him on the post-game podcast with Matt Bove. We talked about him um with some of the advanced stats in an article I put up over at the Athletic on Monday about he how he had the um the fifth worst pressure allowed percentage in the NFL among individual linemen in week one. And uh, that is concerning, obviously. Uh, But we kind of knew that Feliciano might struggle because he was someone that the Bills were pretty open about being in a competition in the late stages of August. And that's not really a good thing when, when you have your uh, a, a competition going that late in into the summer. So we kind of knew that maybe there was a chance that the guard spot could struggle. Um, so Feliciano was not all that uh, uh, not all that unexpected. The unexpected ones were at tackle. and this is this is where this conversation gets a little tricky just because you have, you have two players that the Bills have invested heavily in, right? I mean, they they brought back Daryl Williams in the offseason, and they they gave him a three-year deal. Uh, they gave a huge contract to Deion Dawkins uh, as their franchise left tackle after, you know, and he's the last couple of seasons, he's been really good for the Bills and definitely someone that has been their top lineman the last couple of seasons and, and certainly one that they expect to be closer to that moving forward. Now, I do want to begin with Dawkins just because it's a much different situation than what is going on with Darrell Williams. Because not only do you have to factor in the opponent with Deion Dawkins, but you also have to factor in what he went through in the summer. I mean, getting diagnosed with COVID-19, having to spend four days in the hospital 
like even being outward in talking about how he was thinking about mortality. I mean, that that's some incredibly serious stuff. And so when you have your starting left tackle have to go through all of that, miss camp time to do that. And then when he comes back, has already dealt with weight loss and trying to get back up to speed from that perspective, his conditioning clearly way off um, based on everything that he had been through. So you feel for the guy because you don't want to see, just from a human perspective, you don't want to see anyone go through that. Um, and, And certainly when he had to work himself back into the lineup, there were going to be some some growing pains just because he needed to to get fully comfortable with it. Now, by the end of the preseason, they began to ramp up his workload and uh, they felt like they were in a good spot. He felt like he was in a good spot heading into the first week of the season. And he wound up playing 84 out of 85 snaps uh, against the Steelers. The only snap he didn't play was when he got a flat tire um, on, I think it was a run blocking snap and had to come out for one snap and Spencer Brown went in the game. But be it as it may. Dawkins in this game, when you figure, when you calculate all of that into the situation, this was one of his worst performances as a member of the team. And it makes you wonder what is, like, you you know what, why it's happening. You know it's a, a compilation of a lot of different things. But at the same time, the Bills are also depending on him. Because while, although there's like a fallback option at the other two guard, the two guard spots, there's a fallback option at, at right tackle. That really doesn't exist if Deion Dawkins fails. And the fact that he was allowing pressures at as high of a rate as he was. I mean, in his first game, of course, small sample size, he allowed five pressures on 54 pass blocking snaps, which was a pressure allowed percentage of 9.3%. Now to put that into context, he was like in the low fives last year and Brian Winters, who was a replacement level player, wound up getting benched by the Bills. He was around 8%. So you have Dawkins at 9.3%. So that in itself is a concern. Of course, you have to factor in all those other things. Don't get me wrong. But they need more from their franchise left tackle. And I'm not really sure what they can do in the meantime if he's not all the way ready just yet. I mean, you you just all you have to do is go to the, the coach's film and look back at some of the reps. He was getting caught with his head down. Um, he was getting beat to the spot on the outside. He was off balance some plays. Now, don't get me wrong. There were some plays where uh, he had his feet underneath him and it certainly looked like those flashes of that player that we've gotten to know over time. So I think the bills are probably going to hang on to those reps and and say, okay, look, the guy is still there, you know, good reaction time off the snap, able to mirror um, his, his defender. Well, I mean, there were a handful of those times, but there were just way too many bad reps. He ended up on the ground a bunch, which is usually a no, no for offensive linemen. Um, unless they're, it's, unless they're doing a, a cut block or something along those lines, um, or they're pancaking someone. Um, but for him, it's just, it was, 
it was a frustrating thing to watch. And I'm sure he was frustrated watching the film back as well because he knows he's better than that. The Bills know he's better than that. But there's different factors at play here. So what do the Bills do if if this kind of continues? Do they just kind of hope it gets better um, at, at some point in the season? Do they toy with the idea of maybe, you know, giving him some time to get his his weight and his conditioning right if it's not in the spot where they want it to be but this is a a much much uh this is a conversation much down the road just because we have to see what he does against Miami because the Dolphins although you know they have some good players up front you know uh Van Ginkle is is intriguing they've got a first round pick in Jalen Phillips who um, who is still a bit young, uh, but but he's got some ability. Emmanuel Ogba is someone who's been in the league a long time, and and so there there are some some curious matchups. But this is also a matchup that Dawkins last year and the year before dominates. So we need to see him just take a step forward, or at least they need to see him take a step forward. Otherwise, you know, you have to wonder what what you do. Um, so it, I think it's going to be a first month of the season, see how Dawkins plays, and then and then go from there. But a concerning thing nonetheless, because uh, you're they were banking on this guy to be um, one of their best, if not their best, offensive linemen in totality. The other concerning spot is the right tackle position. Daryl Williams re-signed, and he, at least for me, the, from what I saw in Coach's film, he was the worst performing pass blocking offensive lineman. Now, Feliciano had the higher pressure allowed percentage, everything like that. However, there were at least some pretty good reps from Feliciano where he completely controlled his man to where it makes you go, "Okay, I see I see some redeeming plays out of out of this guy." Williams, on the other hand, it just it was a struggle all the way through. His matchup was the toughest of anyone by far. He was going up against TJ Watt almost every single snap. But the thing is, Daryl Williams went up against TJ Watt almost every single snap last year too and actually performed pretty well. So it's kind of interesting to compare the two performances where Williams is uh, was legitimately worse in this week one game against the Steelers against the same opponent. And it, it makes you wonder a little bit about the position. Um, but just with the Dawkins conversation, it's it's different, but it's the same all, all one because you have only one game of sample size. It's a pretty good defensive line they're going up against, but still a boatload of struggles that you weren't expecting from, from that position, especially with how much they invested in him in the offseason. So this is another wait-and-see mode. And... At the very least, if things do not go well with Darrell Williams over the first month of the season, they at least have a fallback option here, right? They have uh, the option to potentially slide Darrell Williams inside to guard, and then they could see what they have in Spencer Brown at right tackle. Because Brown did look a lot better at right tackle than he did at left tackle uh, during the summer. And, and actually put together some good reps against some legitimate competition. And the Bears preseason game, game springs to mind above all else. But yeah, this is like the Williams thing was the one that kind of caught me off guard the most um, just because of how well he performed. It's not even like he dominated against TJ Watt last year. He just, like he was good. He was average to good. And 
in this game against the Steelers, he was well below average. And for me, it was his worst game as a member of the Bills. And just, you have to see where this thing goes from here. The offensive line in totality, because this is the lifeblood of of the Bills, the entire operation, right? I mean, this passing game is what helped take the Bills from a plucky wildcard team to a confirmed division winner uh, by multiple games and and then making it as far as the AFC championship game. It's the reason why they made such a leap last year. And they got pretty good blocking um, from Dawkins. They got pretty good blocking from Daryl Williams, Mitch Morse uh, on the inside. The guard positions were, you know, just okay to slightly above average, but you know, that as long as you have the bookends good, right in the center is good, then you're probably in a pretty good spot. But if the tackle position is struggling, in addition to some of the uncertainty on the interior at guard, that's not great. Um, so all those guys will will need to to pick it up as as they march forward and in, into this Dolphins game for sure. But on the upside, I know I've a lot of been a lot of like, okay, well, let's analyze this offensive line position and, and where they were not good, but. On the upside, I mean, Cody Ford, what a debut for him. And it's not as though he was just amazing, but he was above average to good in that game. Definitely, at least for me, the top performing offensive lineman. um, Had such a strong game, especially at the end of the first half, that he he played so well that the Bills didn't even want to see Ike Butker at, at right guard anymore. It just seemed like Ford was very comfortable. Um... A lot more comfortable than what he looked at left guard. Uh, I wonder if maybe there's some there there's some uh, some things you can look to because he was so comfortable at right tackle um, at, during college that maybe it's it just helps his pass sets a little more and his ability to you know how he pivots off off one foot as opposed to the other. Um, those little things do matter with offensive linemen, which is why changing sides is a lot more difficult than than people believe it to be. But he looked comfortable, looked explosive on combination blocks. It looked like he was like right in the middle of things, anticipating things well. Um, even had a pancake or two on there. It wasn't perfect. Um, he allowed a sack, uh, allowed a couple of pressures, but his pressure allowed percentage was 4.3%, which was over 10% less than Feliciano's from that game. Probably a little bit of an easier matchup, but still, Ford being that much better and allowing six fewer pressures on only seven fewer uh, pass-blocking snaps, that that uh, that shows you just how good of a, an opening game he had. So I think he's in... The starting lineup, I would be very surprised at this point from uh, from the game that he had if if they removed him and did the rotation again. Like I guess never say never because they want him to earn it all the way through and make sure he's consistent. But you know he he looked good and they need to find out about him this season. All right, that's enough about the Bills' offensive line for now. Let's let's get to the Bills' opponents coming up here. The Miami Dolphins uh, are one and zero on the season after a win over the New England Patriots. And joining us now, the uh, one of our senior NFL writers here at the Athletic, Lindsey Jones, who has taken a close eye on the uh, on the Miami Dolphins as we 
uh, as we have marched through the season or the preseason and training camp. So, Lindsay, thanks so much for coming on the Buffalo Beat. Sure. Thanks for having me, Joe. Um, so let's just dive right into the the guy that I think every Bills fan wants to know about because he's in his second season um, and, you know, trying to chase after a, uh, a similar trajectory of what Josh Allen has tried to do in his career um, to a tongue of Iloa. What have you seen from him? What have the Dolphins seen from him to make them feel as confident as they do heading into this season? Yeah, it's so interesting because so I was down there for training camp for a couple of days in early August, the the first week or so of camp, right about the time that pads went on. And this was before or so it was it was after like the draft speculation of, OK, will the Dolphins maybe try to draft a quarterback? Could they be in the Deshaun Watson market? That stuff all died down. For a while, they didn't obviously draft a quarterback. They took Jalen Waddell with their first first round pick. Um, and but then, you know, later in August was when all of the Deshaun Watson stuff kept coming back up and the Dolphins being a front runner and the Dolphins really wanting to go after potentially getting Deshaun Watson, all of that sort of stuff. So it makes for a really interesting backdrop of who Tua is, what the Dolphins are trying to do with him, and just how all in they are around him. Because if you look at their actions, you know, what they have actually done, it's saying, this is our guy. We're going to we're gonna completely build around him. We're going to upgrade all of the offensive pieces around him. We're going to empower him to be our leader and the face of our franchise and all of that stuff. But this in the back in the back of everybody's head is still this stuff about that they would upgrade if they had the opportunity to acquire a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. Obviously, I think it's very unwise and very irresponsible to be engaging in any sort of talk about Deshaun Watson right now. And I, I, I wish the NFL commissioner would step in and just say, we're, we're not talking about trading this guy right now while well, he's under yeah, investigation for uh, 22 um, allegations of sexual misconduct. But that is for a different podcast. But <laughs> this is just kind of the backdrop of where they're headed into with this season. So, you know, I really wanted to find out, one, what was this offense going to look like? Because, you know, while he did start nine games last season, I don't think there was a ton we could take schematically out of what the Dolphins looked like last year with Tua that could apply to this year. They changed offensive coordinators. Chan, uh, Chan Gailey is gone. In is George Godsey and Eric Studisville in a co-offensive coordinator situation, which is very unique. Yeah, um, and it's been fairly confusing down there too about the the split of responsibilities and who is actually calling plays and Charlie Fry is their quarterbacks coach who has taken on a ton of responsibility as well um, and is the one who's kind of into his ear most frequently um, so it's this kind of three-headed offensive play calling situation and scheme design and all of those sorts of things um so, you know, now that we got to week one, I wanted to say, okay, are they going to open it up for him? What does this receiving core look like? Because, you know, this receiving core is probably the biggest difference between the Dolphins team that we saw last year, that Dolphins team that they trotted out there when they lost by, what, 30 points mm-hmm. in week 17. Where Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I mean, that was, I just don't know. I mean, it, they just got steamrolled. Like, I don't know how much you can. Yeah, by the take. Bills backups, no less. Yeah, which is wild, right? It was right. Matt Barkley. I, who was he? Yeah, near the end of the. Near the yeah. end of the game there. It was Matt Barkley, and there was guys like uh, – there were practice squad guys getting in. I think Andre Smith was a linebacker at one point. They, but the Bills put up 50, 56 on him. Yeah, I mean, that was I mean that was just a game that got away from them really quickly, which was disappointing if you're the Dolphins because mm-hmm. they had a, the potential to try to win their way into the playoffs. They needed a lot, you know, a lot of things to go right, but to kind of at least have that carrot dangling out there and to, you know, 
get beat by 30 points. That's that's really disappointing. But, you know, I wanted to see, are they going to open it up for Tua? Are, is there going to be an explosive downfield passing game? Because that was the big knock on him as a rookie was that either he couldn't or wouldn't or they wouldn't allow him to go downfield. Um, so what we've seen so far, limited sample size, is that mm-hmm. their their passing game is more interesting. It's more diverse. It's more dynamic. And the biggest reason for that, I think, is that they just have better players. I mean, mm-hmm. their receiving core last year was not good. Like, I don't think it was Patriots bad, but it was it was not good. It was like Devontae Parker and Mike Jacecki, their tight end. And that was about it. Um, and now this year, they obviously they drafted Jalen Waddell with their first round pick. He's, you know, speed guy. Um, they're using him all over the formation. They signed Will Fuller, who we should see for the first time this week. He was serving the last game of a suspension that started last season in week one. So he did not play week one. He is a proven field stretching downfield threat red zone target. I believe he had eight touchdowns for the Texans last year before he started his suspension. Um you know, and then obviously they still have Devontae Parker. Albert Wilson is back. He opted out last season. Um, you know, they they just have a lot more offensive weapons than they mm-hmm. did last year. So I think that's kind of really where it starts is that they they've given to a help and they're they're building this thing around him, but small sample size. So yeah. We'll we'll see how it goes against the Bills. Yeah, it, it was interesting to hear some of the Patriots kind of talk about him after the fact. I think it was JC Jackson kind of trotted out the idea that he's this one read guy and if, if he doesn't hit that one read then you know he he crumbles and that's that was a big criticism of Baker Mayfield a, a couple of years ago too and I, I just wonder how much how much of that the Bills are seeing and and what other teams are going to see of this Dolphins crew going forward yeah and I you know I think that's a fairly common thing for young quarterbacks as yeah, well for sure. and um you know you can get confused you know, defenses will try to confuse young quarterbacks a lot and really try mm-hmm. really hard to take away those first reads. And, you know, the guy that they saw last year was a guy who had a very limited playbook. And that quote that he said back in May where, you know, he admitted basically that he didn't know the playbook, that got a lot of run. And mm-hmm. I thought it got blown up maybe a little bit unfairly because it wasn't his playbook. And, you know, I the way that they handled that, the Brian Flores' staff, the way they handled the transition from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua it was was very awkward. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think a ton of the rest of the coaching staff was super clued in about exactly what was going to go on. You know, he hadn't been getting first team snaps. It's not like he was splitting reps in training camp. You know, this was very much an offense that was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, everybody in Buffalo knows Ryan Fitzpatrick. You, you guys very know well, his, right? You know, <laughs> you know what his mindset is as a quarterback. He's also a guy who's literally seen everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to confuse him and try to, you know, you can just take away his first read. So, you know, the fact that it was built for Ryan Fitzpatrick, they kind of thrust to it in sooner than he should have. I think he actually, they they intended it to be later, but then the Dolphins' bye week got shifted several weeks earlier because of COVID changes, not their own COVID issues, but COVID issues around the league. They were one of the, you know, the teams that got affected by all the dominoes falling. Um, so it just made for a really awkward situation. And then they would you know, pull him if he wasn't playing well and Ryan Fitzpatrick would come in. It was this weird, like, relief pitcher kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It was it was very weird. Um, so, you know, I didn't want to read too much into that. If anything, I felt like it was, you know, Tua being too honest and very earnest and trying to figure out what to say, what not to say, what's going to become a big headline and what what's not going to. Because I think he is a really earnest kind of guy and is kind of growing into figuring out what it means to be you know, the starting quarterback of an NFL team. Mm-hmm. Um, so in front of him is uh, 
obviously a, a big factor because yeah. you know the Dolphins' offensive line has been you know they, they weren't the greatest last year. They tried to upgrade and and get uh, get a they drafted in the second round Eichenberg out of, out of Notre Dame and um, they've they've tried a, a lot of different things, but you know it, it they always seem to at least in the first game it seemed like there were some issues for them up front. So what is that? What has that? Um, learning curve for them kind of been as they've gotten closer to the season and into the first week now? Yeah, it's been really rough. And, you know, when you think about the reasons that the Bill or the Bills, excuse me, that the Dolphins could be a playoff team, there's so much to like about the offense. Mm-hmm. If Tua develops the way that you want to, if these skill position guys are the biggest, up- this significant upgrade that they were hoping for, you could see that. But the biggest wild card there has always been the offensive line. And it's been unsettled. Um, all of preseason, all of training camp, even now into or heading into week one, and now even a little bit heading into week two. So they were moving guys all over. I, you know, Eichenberg, the second round pick out of Notre Dame that you mentioned, like he played multiple positions during training camp until he kind of settled in at one of the guard spots. Um, they had an open competition at center, which Michael Dieter won over Matt Skura, who um, ultimately didn't make the team. And he actually just saw, he signed somewhere. Today. Yeah. Giants, I think, right? Okay. Signed with the That would make sense. Or maybe yeah. he was on their practice squad and got yeah, called up. Yeah. And got called up. That's right. Okay. I was like, I saw it come across my Twitter feed, <laughs> but you know, Skura was more of the veteran guy, but Dieter ended up beating him out. Um, the, the right tackle spot has been a little bit up for grabs. And then their starting left tackle, the one position on the line that really seemed to be kind of like settled, um, Austin Jackson, who was a rookie last year with Tua, um, he went on the COVID list. He was activated off the COVID list in time to play last week, but I, he only played a handful of snaps in week one. So he should be back full go this week against the Bills. But this has been a very unsettled line. They actually made two trades during training camp near the end of the preseason. They traded for Greg Mance, who's a guard who has played for like 17 different teams. He's like a Ryan <laughs> Fitzpatrick on the offensive line. Um, and then they traded for Greg Little, who I believe from Carolina, who I'm trying to remember if he was a first round pick, but you know, a guy who didn't quite live up to, you know, the expectations mm-hmm. um, that he had in Carolina. So, you know, they knew that was unsettled. They were pursuing trades. They were trying to figure out who their best five was going to be. And then you get to week one and, you know, Eichenberg had been hurt and then Austin Jackson was out. And so they're having to scramble stuff heading into week one. All of that said, even if they have their ideal starting five this week against the Bills. Still a lot of questions about how good that group is, how good they are at run blocking, and certainly how well they'll be able to hold up in pass protection. Yeah, and I mean, you said that Jackson just came off the COVID list and he was eligible to play, but I mean, the Bills have kind of had a similar situation because Deion Dawkins was on on the COVID list, spent four days in the hospital. He probably had his worst game as a member of the Bills this past week against the Steelers. Like it just, it was just a mess for him, and that's that's something we chatted about a little bit earlier um, on the show. And just you don't know how players are going to react when they they come off the COVID list and after going through ha- having having this disease, and it's just that makes it even more of a wild card. Yeah, and Austin Jackson, he he spoke with reporters earlier this week and um, made a point to say that he was vaccinated, had a fairly mm-hmm. mild case, so hopefully you know. For him, it was just kind of getting back after missing right. a few days. Um, so, you know, for his case, hopefully it comes quickly. Yeah, the, the Deion Dawkins, that was one of the scariest situations. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully guys around the league paid attention and look within his own locker room, kind of paid attention. I'm not sure how much they did. I've seen some of the vaccination rates lately. But, um, yeah. But yeah, so that is going to be a question for uh, for the Dolphins, their offensive line. And, um you know, I'm very I'm just curious to see if they're able to hold up because they played OK mm-hmm. against the Patriots. Um, 
you know, they they held up okay. They Their run game was a little bit better than I was expecting it to be. That was another big, like, oh, are they going to be able to run the balls? Miles Gaskin, the guy, are they going to try to upgrade? Um, but they held up okay. They did actually a lot of passing to Miles mm-hmm. Gaskin. Um, you know, I think those are ways that you obviously you help out a young quarterback, too, is, you know, use that screen game, quick passes to running back. And, and Gaskin showed that he was able to hold up through that. Mm-hmm. So the calling card of, of the Dolphins, I mean, outside of all of this potential on offense is on a, is obviously their defense because that's Flor- Brian Flores' bread and butter, um, and and that's that's what he's really tried to develop. Has they've sunk a lot of resources into into it over the years, and it seemed like they were they they got off to a great start against the Patriots. So what makes this Dolphins defense so? good and so menacing to play against for opposing teams. Yeah, well so they're they're very their strength is their secondary. Um and they've invested a ton of money uh into the back half of their defense, specifically at the cornerback position with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. Obviously Xavier Howard's contract situation got a ton of press this summer. He was very unhappy with his contract situation because he was not the highest paid cornerback on his own team and he made a point uh to say that and you know Byron Jones was like look he deserves to be the best corner or highest paid <laughs> cornerback. He, like, have you watched him play? He's one of the best man coverage cornerbacks in the NFL. So, you know, they're they're built in a rare situation, or they're built differently than a lot of teams, where that they really can thrive in in man coverage. And there's just not a lot of teams that have multiple corners that can play that way. Um, so, really, what we've seen then is that they're they're blitzing all the time. Um, they were the second most blitz happy team in 2020. Uh, you know, was, I think they blitzed Josh Allen, like on half of his dropbacks last year, didn't really work out for them, Mm-mm, but no. they have the confidence that they can play that way because they believe that their back end can hold up and that their cornerbacks can match up against anybody. Xavier Howard, you know, proudly kind of will shadow number one wide receivers believes that he can kind of lock down anybody. And, you know, and he's he's a ball hawk. I mean, he is always around the ball. He's making interceptions very frequently, um, which is why he believed he deserved more money. And he didn't get really like, a substantial pay raise, but they they moved some money around, got him um, a little bit more money this year to kind of make him happy. Um, but so that's really the way that this defense is built. It's it's built kind of from the backside forward. Um, they have a lot of kind of interesting pieces that they can move around. Jason McCourty has switched from uh, the Patriots to the Dolphins. He's playing corner back, but he also can play safety. He's done a little bit of both already this season for the Dolphins. Um, Eric Rowe and then, you know, the two cornerbacks that I mentioned in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. So that's about as good a secondary as you'll see anywhere in the league. And, um, you know, they don't have as many like stars in their front seven, but they're they're good pass rushers and they'll they'll be able to get some pressure. I don't think they're going to be able to consistently get as much pressure with just four rushers as Mm -hmm. the Steelers were last week. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm really curious to just see kind of how does Brian Flores attack this? Is he going to try to blitz? You know, because Josh Allen has made the Dolphins pay a lot in 2020 when they when they decided to blitz him. So that's probably not the best uh, tactic, their best game plan. Um, but it is so built into kind of who Brian Flores is as a defensive play caller um, and as a kind of a coordinator. So we'll see if he just can't help himself and wants to do that again. 
Yeah, it's been super interesting. Like even the two games with the Bills and Dolphins last year, the first one where the Dolphins got their defense uh, smoked in man coverage, um, they ran man about 70% of the time, and that went down to just over 50 in the second time they played. A lot of teams have had success recently playing zone against the Bills, so I wonder what what is going to kind of win out here in that chess match. Yeah, I mean, because I you know the what the the book on Josh Allen, which your listeners will probably jump all over me because they know. It. <laughs> intricately and better than I do, right? Is that it is Buffalo um, after all? That, yeah, they have good you know, knowledge. Kind of blitz him at your own peril. You're you're mm-hmm. you're, you're probably going to have more luck dropping a lot more defenders and mm-hmm. um, playing coverage and doing what the Steelers did, kind of last week. And you know, I I don't know if there's a lot of teams that are going to be able to replicate exactly what Pittsburgh did, just because of the strength of their front and having Minka Fitzpatrick just. Like mm-hmm. coming out of nowhere, I just like it was. It was one of the most impressive games from a safety that I've seen in a really long time. So you know, I don't know how replicable that is, um, but it does seem to be the right idea for a defense of how you want to approach playing Josh Allen in that Bills offense. Yeah. All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for for taking the time and chatting some Dolphins with us here. It's been, it's been awesome getting you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so that is Lindsey Jones, our uh, senior NFL writer here at The Athletic. All right, so some really interesting stuff from Lindsey there and about Tua and how he's kind of come across and, and everything like that. So I think this this is a perfect segue to kind of get into the matchup specifically and how these two sides kind of uh, coincide with one another. I think there are a lot of unique little factors into this and there one thing that um Lindsay and i kind of touched on at the tail end of our conversation was just how the dolphins defense will approach this this um this bills offense we have seen a lot of teams take the zone heavy approach against the bills and to certain degrees it's worked i mean the steelers played a high percentage of zone the Colts played a high percentage of zone in the wild card round. Uh, the Chiefs have played uh, played a high percentage of zone in the championship game. Ravens were more man, but their uh, man coverage uh, that's their that's their usual operation. But even they put together some uh, uh, put together a, a zone uh, a heavier zone look than maybe the Bills were anticipating, and so that that kind of it might be the book on the bills right now that they have to defeat. Um, So from their perspective, I think that will be one of the key factors here because I don't think that this Dolphins team will have uh, as much success rushing the passer as the Steelers did this past week. But that said, you know, the Bills will still need to take advantage of some vacancies and some weaknesses uh, throughout throughout all the zone coverage. So or that is that is at least one factor of this game that that makes you wonder if that's what kind of is hanging in the balance here, because we know the strength of the, the Dolphins is their defense. The strength of the Bills is their offense, even though the Bills defense played pretty well last week. And we'll we'll, we'll get into that in just a bit. But it really boils down to. Can this passing attack show that they're able to dice up the underneath zone coverage and then slowly but surely have the opponents creep down and then hit them over the top? 
will the Dolphins go blitz heavy, like Lindsay was talking about? Will they be that sort of a uh, that sort of team to try and force the issue with with Josh Allen? Because if there's one thing that he has grown exponentially with, it's with those late blitzers and then taking advantage of the open space that that blitzer opens up. We saw it even um, against the Steelers where I think there was one play where uh, it might have been the nickel corner was was coming off the edge and it let Cole Beasley have space right uh, right around him and Allen just quickly uh, threw the ball right over the heads of the defensive lineman and the oncoming blitzer and it was a it was a nice little pickup just very easy stuff to where he he shows that poise shows he's calm and delivers a good ball in those instances. So that will be the biggest game of chess going. I think the Dolphins learned their lesson a little bit in week two last year in going so heavy into man coverage because this Bills team just crushed them on crossers. Uh, you know, just they really allowed their excellent route running receivers to do their damage. And that, I think... They're hoping for a lot of man coverage because they they probably like their matchup and that's from that perspective. But it's probably one of those things where they're going to have to show that they can beat a certain look before they start to get more and more man coverage. At least that w- that would be my anticipation going into this game. So you wonder about that. But I think the one way for the Bills to try and combat all of this is something we touched on a little bit in the uh, in the post game show right this was a lot of uh, a lot of four and five wide receiver stuff that the bills wound up running and they weren't all that productive on those plays whereas when they were in 11 personnel and i'm sure the the play action numbers probably coincide with this because their early down play action percentage was really low compared to where it was last year. I think last year it was over 40%. And in the first game against uh, against the Steelers, it was like in the teens, um, one of the lowest early down play action percentages in the league in week one. Like that, that's just not what we got to know about the Bills last year. So I do wonder if having the threat to run is going to be a focal point in this game. Devin Singletary did do some nice things outside of the fumbles. Um, did do some nice, nice things. I really liked his vision and and how he utilized the blockers in front of him. How he read things. How quickly he was to advance the ball upfield as opposed to dancing too much. There was one rep that that he kind of uh, went to east west for uh, uh, for what he probably should have done. But for the most part, he was fantastic, especially in uh, in the second half of the game. So I think there's some opportunity there to kind of set the Dolphins up from that perspective. And then, you know, play action, early down play action. The great thing about play action is you don't actually have to run the ball a ton for play action to be effective because you're just making the defender hesitate ever so slightly to where it opens up space in the field. And and the slimmest of margins that that opens up, that's an area where you can gain a pretty uh, substantial play. Um, especially through the air. And Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley. I mean, these are guys that uh, really exploit these these small little areas of the field to where you, uh, you have a chance to push it down the field. So I think uh, 
I think in total, I would expect to see a lot more 11 personnel. I think the Bills will try to uh, will try to run the ball a bit more because I do think there is there are some opportunities against this front seven of the Dolphins. They're going to be without their starting nose tackle Raquan Davis, who was put on uh, put on IR this week. Um, there were some running lanes open uh, with the Patriots, who have a better offensive line than the Bills, but I think the Bills are going to see that and go, okay, well let's 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 see uh, what success that Singletary. Maybe Zach Moss, uh, maybe Matt Breida. See what they have kind of moving forward here. So I'm, I'm expecting a lot more 11 personnel. You know, they'll still mix in the the four wide receiver stuff because that's a staple of their team. But, I, you know, I, I think getting back to basics to where having that tight end on the field and where they were at their best a lot of times last year and certainly in week one, I think that's that's going to go a long way. In this game, now the other on um, the defensive side of things, you have the um, you have the offensive line, which we touched on with Lindsey uh, of the Dolphins, that has just been not good. Um, Austin Jackson is he's been okay since he entered the league. Uh, their starting center was is kind of uninspiring. Um, their guard play wasn't great this past week. Uh, their right tackle was uh, is is kind of just a guy at this point. So when you have all of those things working in your favor in such a deep defensive line, I think there's a lot of opportunities for the Bills uh, not only to you know win at the line of scrimmage from a run defending perspective, but also because Tua Tungavailoa holds onto the ball as long as he does. Um, Compared to what Ben Roethlisberger did, I think Tua hold on to it, held on to it 2.5 seconds on average, whereas Ben Roethlisberger was 2.17 this past week. Just ridiculous stuff. Um, so that will at least lend itself to some opportunities for the Bills to maybe even bring down the quarterback for a, for a sack or two. So I'm expecting a few more pressures in this game from the Bills. Uh, interior, I think Ed Oliver has uh, potential based on what he did last week and at the end of last season to have a, a solid game against this interior line. And then uh, and if they're able to do that, then the Bills will be able to get more so to their comfort zone, which is zone coverage, because uh, I don't know that they want to mess with the speed of, of the, these Dolphins receivers. They've got Jalen Waddell, um, who's a burner. They've got Will Fuller, who can who's a consummate downfield threat. And I don't know that they necessarily want to mess with that. Uh, to a grand degree. So the Bills played a lot of man coverage against the Steelers last week because of how quickly Roethlisberger gets the ball out of his hand. But I would kind of expect them to go back into tendency and play a lot more zone coverage in this game. So uh, there are a, a lot of different ways to to look at this matchup. So I think it's only right to get into the prediction of the game. Now, when you look at the lines, it's uh, the Bills are favored by three and a half points. The over-under, I believe, is 47, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, the Bills are on the road and, and everything like that. So, from a pick perspective, I know I was wrong last week. I think a lot of us were wrong last week. But I'm taking the Bills again. Um, I think there's a, f- there's a few different things that, that lead me to get there. One of which being... The defensive line working against the Miami offensive line, I think that's a that is a legitimate advantage for this Bills team, uh, especially with how poorly the Dolphins' offensive line can play at times. 
and also defensively, I think the Bills will have an opportunity to frustrate Tua Tungabailoa and and try to get him off his first read and get him to, you know, improvise a little bit more, which is something he didn't exactly look super comfortable doing against the Patriots last week. I think there will be some opportunities there, and, and there are a couple of times where uh, where Tua just threw the ball up when when he was under duress, and I think that's exactly what the Bills are are hoping for. That's what exactly what they're planning on, and and that's what they think could probably turn the game on offense. It's going to be slightly tough, um, but I I do expect. Uh, the Bills to get back on track with their passing offense. I don't know if it's going to be another 300-yard game for Josh Allen or anything like that, but I I am expecting this the pace of this game to be pretty up and have a lot of plays. You know, the Dolphins are pretty quick. The Bills are pretty quick from that perspective, so it could lead to a ton of points. That said, I do think the, the Dolphins do have a lot of redeeming qualities to where it is going to be difficult for them, and I think they will have the opportunity to put up some points the running game, uh, I think the Bills might struggle with a little bit just because of how they do it. It's not as um, advertised as the Pittsburgh one where they just want to hit you in the mouth and and run upfield. It's more about deception, and I think that's an area that the Bills struggle with at times in, in their run defending. However, all that said, I'm picking the Bills to win. Uh, I am going to pick the over but I am going to pick the Dolphins to cover. So I've got the Bills winning this game 30-27. to 27, And uh, we'll see exactly if the Bills can get things going. And uh, I, I am expecting a much closer contest than maybe what we saw in Week 17 last year. And certainly what we saw in, in previous years. Um, between these two squads where, especially in Miami, where it just seems like Josh Allen has a tendency to do pretty well down there. All right. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of uh, the Buffalo Beat. Thank you all for listening to this preview edition. Um, the next time you'll hear, hear from me will be after the game when the Bills take on the Dolphins. I'll be joined by WKBW Sports Director Matt Bovey. And if you haven't yet, by all means, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat because our uh, limited offer is running out in just a few days. You can get your yearly subscription to The Athletic and read about all things Bills, all things NFL, all things fantasy football, all things NBA, uh, all things Premier League. Uh, I even subscribe to some reading for the Bundesliga. I'm an NBA draft guy. Uh, all of these different little little areas that, that you're interested in. Uh, odds are we've, we've got somebody writing about it in a, in a pretty cool way. So go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat for 50% off your yearly subscription. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you after the game on Sunday. See you then.